1: to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there.
2: This is a chance, of a lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal.
0: We are all on the same team. Know your role and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again.
3: Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight.
2: Great moments are born in great opportunity.
1: My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is James Wade. James is a retired American basketball player and now coach. He played for 13 years as a professional in France, Spain, the Czech Republic and Belgium. After retiring, he stepped into coaching, eventually working as an assistant in Russia and in the WNBA with Minnesota and San Antonio. He became head coach of the Chicago Sky in the WNBA in 2018 and went on to lead them to their first championship in 2021. He was also voted the 2019 WNBA Coach of the Year. James is a coach with a strong sense of purpose. From humble beginnings, his sense of curiosity has taken him all over the world and ignited his drive to learn, evolve, and in his words, be a role model for the black or minority kid that feels different. He is authentic in the way he communicates and connects with people, and this allows him to find the right balance between applying the necessary pressure to help people perform, while also being mindful of their overall well-being. James and I spoke just before Christmas 2021, he was back in France where he lives, and the time and space away from the season in the USA gave him the time to reflect, and this added extra depth to our discussion. Some of the key parts of this chat that stayed with me afterwards were his twin focus on the values of accountability and communication, and how he uses this to understand each player as a human the role that sacrifice has played in his life and how he uses it to prioritise collective over individual happiness and the need to identify things that are important to winning, building standards around those things and not settling when they are not met, but at the same time not fighting for every little detail. This was a terrific conversation, fueled by a little Christmas spirit, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. And just before we go to the interview, if you're a first-time listener, you can check out our library of interviews with other great coaches at our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. And while you're there, if you'd like to help our show, which is fully independent and free from ads, you can follow the link to our Patreon page, where we offer exclusive content to our supporters. And now, please enjoy our interview with James Wade.
0: The Great Coaches Podcast.
1: James Wade, good evening and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Thank you for having
3: me. I really appreciate it. I'm flattered to be here and and I'm excited to be here.
1: We're very excited to talk a little bit of basketball with you too, but something really simple to get us going. Where are you in the world and what have you been up to so far today?
3: I'm south of a little town called Montpellier, France. I'm right in the south. So um in my little village, eating my biscuits and sipping my tea. So a lot of sun right now and I'm just soaking it up.
1: It sounds ideal.ly We're going to talk all things Europe. We're also going to talk about your experience in America as well. So I'm really looking forward to this chat tonight. James, can I just start though by name checking two really big coaches that have formed, I think they've had a large influence on your career and I think they've probably influenced you as a leader as well. And I'm talking about Dan Hughes and Cheryl Reeve. And I'd like to ask you from your experience with them, and I'm sure there's been other great coaches as well, but in particular, those two, what is it you think the great coaches do differently that sets them apart?
3: I think the, the great coaches, they understand people. They understand people and they're aware of their surroundings and they know how to get the best out of people and they know what to give. And so I picked that those things up from, from the both of them they're always aware of, of their surroundings, of the people around them and they're conscious of other people's feelings. And I just think that's uh very important when it comes to coaches and and leadership. And they they are two of the best. And, and so me, I've always just tried to be a sponge. And that's it's tough when you coach against them. You admire them so much, but you want to beat them, but you don't want to be so overly gullible that you just in awe of them. So I try to pick a lot from them and take a life from them and just apply it to who i am as a person so it's, it's been
1: helpful it's been really helpful so not only exposure to two great coaches but you're american you've also coached in russia you've also coached in america you live in france you've played in spain the czech republic belgium and france so you've got quite a broad experience when it comes to exposure to great leaders but what I'd like to ask you as is, is this, what has this global experience taught you about human motivation?
3: It's opened my mind up to a lot of things. When it comes to motivation, you figure out once you get into another country that it's not always one way to do things. It's not always one way to motivate people. And you meet different types of people from different walks of life, different cultures, different backgrounds. And you have to be open-minded to each individual person, to to different cultures, and it will only help your growth as a human being. It'll only help your growth as a as a leader. And it's kind of added fuel to to my motivation. You go to these places, and you're like, okay, I can go. You sign these contracts, and you and you get money, but the money goes away. Money is here to spend, and you save some or whatever, but you take away memories. And those are those, and you take away memories and friendships and those are very, very important. But one thing I've tried to like as much as possible, I've, I love studying languages. So that's the one thing I try to take away to kind of help my experience kind of grow and to keep those friendships everlasting. So that's, that's what I take away from it. And that's, that's been a motivating part for me. Not only do I take the culture away, but I I try to take the language away as well.
1: Is there one or perhaps two memories or friendships from that journey that have really influenced your approach to coaching?
3: When I met my wife, that's an everlasting friendship.
1: She was playing at,
3: on the highest level here in, in Europe. She was playing with the national team. She was playing on what then was the number one EuroLeague team in Valenciennes, France. Now, right now, they don't they don't exist anymore. But they had won two EuroLeague titles while she was there. The three years that she was there. They lost in the finals so they were finalists all three years and they lost one and they they won two and i i got a chance to see how their coach prepared them for for games and how ready they were and they didn't always have the best talent but they were always the most prepared and i just thought it was so impressive the way they just came out to play every every game and so I would see their practices and stuff like that sometimes, but I thought every detail mattered. When I was playing, the coaches that I played for, it was hard with the language barrier and and all that. So you had to be really locked in and really focused on the details. And so I guess a lot of it comes from watching the best team in Europe play and watching the players come together because they had star players and also struggling with the language earlier. And that motivated me to wanna speak the language, but also, I had to be really focused and locked in because of the language barrier on trying to get things right and so those are two things i'm i'm a a detail oriented coach and i'm big on uh having my teams prepared so i guess those two things kind of motivated me a lot and those are some things that are everlasting thoughts in my mind when it comes to me coaching and my coaching style
1: so james in one seven month period across 2017 and 2018 You were an assistant coach for teams that won three championships in the USA and Russia. Then you carry this energy into your first season as a head coach with the Chicago Sky, where the team go into the playoffs, but unfortunately they don't progress. But you were named the 2019 WNBA Coach of the Year. But it's not until 2021 that the Chicago Sky win the championship. And so I wanted to ask you, what did you learn about yourself in the years leading up to that championship?
3: We talked about details. I think, I guess the thing that I learned about myself was I had to put myself in a situation where I didn't settle. Sometimes you get into a situation and you don't want to fight every little fight, every little detail. He's like, okay, that's not important. You yeah, know, that's not important, but you have to identify the things that are important to winning for you and the things that you've learned that are important to winning for you and you have to stick to it. No matter how long it takes, you have to stick to it. Can't have any shortcuts. And it's so easier said than done because sometimes you feel like you're regressing and you're going backwards, but you're not. You're just building a pathway to winning. And sometimes it takes longer than other times. I, I learned that you had to fight for every detail and you had to be able to communicate why those things are important, what they're going to mean at the end, because it's not important for everybody, but for your brand of basketball, you don't want to have any regrets uh, when it comes down to it. And so that's what I try to install and instill in, in the players and the everything around me. It's a long process, but it's worth it.
1: When you took over the Chicago Sky, I have this quote from you where you say, if I can get the team going and playing to their strengths, I think it will be good. And of course it was good because you go on to win the championship. But I was really intrigued about this idea of strengths. And so I wanted to ask you, what stops teams and individuals from playing to their strengths?
3: When teams and players, individual players, players have individual interests that come before team interests. And I think when coaches or organisations They get comfortable or they don't pay attention to they're not mindful of those details that they need to do to win and or just to instill discipline in their team and they let one little thing pass and then it's another thing and it's another thing and then it can go it can backfire A lot of things can contribute to not being successful, just like a lot of things can contribute to being successful. But the details and the work ethic are what go into everything and having a team that's ready to sacrifice for winning, because winning doesn't come without sacrifice. And it's it's an important detail that you have to abide by.
1: James, you mentioned sacrifice, and it's something I hear you talk about a lot. And I wanted to ask you where this focus comes from and why it's so important to you.
3: It comes from life. It comes with being a family. It comes with working with people. You're gonna always have to sacrifice something. And in order to win in life, in order to win in, in, in family, in order to win in games, you that's just the biggest part of it. And to understand that it's not about you, that's the first sacrifice. It's always about us. Because the the easiest thing to do is to say, I want this, or I wanna be this, or this is what would make me happy but what's gonna make us happy. And the end of it, when you play a game, winning is what trumps all, especially when it comes to happiness. So I've seen winning cure a lot of things. I know that sacrifice is the main ingredient in it. And that's always been a part of everything I do. Sometimes I don't wanna get up at seven o'clock in the morning, but when my son's up and he he needs me, then I have to sacrifice and do it. Same thing. Washing the dishes. I don't want to wash the dishes tonight, but my wife's been working all day. So I have to sacrifice and do it. I know that that may sound like a little small detail or something that's very minute, but that can go a long way when you sacrifice and you show that willingness and it makes everybody happy. It's going to make me happy to see that they're happy. And the same thing goes with a team. We have players that can maybe average 25 points a game, but. It's probably not good for the team if they do that because it won't help us win. Sometimes we're gonna need it, but sometimes we're just gonna to need to share the ball a lot more than we normally do. and It's just a part of winning. Winning organizations, sacrifice. It's tough when you see losing organizations because you see that they, they lack a little bit of that sometimes.
1: I've read where you talk about understanding the way you react on the court influences the team. And learning to deal with that is something that comes with leadership. What would be your top advice to other leaders on improving the way they react? Because it's often very, very difficult to control.
3: Self-accountability. The easiest thing for a coach to do is after a game is to go look at the stat sheet or look at video and say, hey, look, we didn't do this right, this right, this right, this right, this right. The first thing I do after a game, whether we win or lose, it's okay, what could I have done better? I look at myself first and foremost in, in the mirror when we go back to the locker room before I go talk to the coaches. I say, okay, I I didn't do this. I I was bad at this tonight. I can do this better. And then I approach the team and say, hey, look, as a group, we can do this better. Whether it be our energy or whether it be attention to detail and, and schemes or whatever it may be, or whether it be us playing together, I'll hold them to that, but I also hold myself accountable in front of them as well because I make a lot of mistakes. I think we get this false sense of the coach is always right, all the time. And if you're not always right, that means you're not a good coach. And I'm self-aware of who I am. I, I'm, I'm self-aware of my shortcomings. And I don't mind talking about them because I I know that an ever-evolving person. And so I'm trying to get it right. But at the end of the day, I know what I want and and I know what we have to do to win. But sometimes I fall short of that and I have to self-reflect and say, okay, how can I get the best out of myself so I can get the best out of them? And I think that's just a big part of it.
1: Where did you pick up that idea of looking in the mirror first? Um, don't know. <laughs> I don't know.
3: This is probably a part of this is more upbringing I I would say. My mother was very self-reflective and she would get mad at us for not living up to a standard, but when she was wrong, she she would say, "Hey, look, I'm I'm sorry." I could have did this better. She always held herself to a high, she put a lot of pressure on us growing up, but she always held herself to a standard where she tried to set an example for us and she would admit where she fell short, tried to protect us in that way. And so I do the same. You can crucify me and I'll be okay. You know, I know I make mistakes, but it's just me understanding that everyone is human everybody has insecurities. Everyone. It's not one single person that doesn't. You can go from the most powerful person in the world to the most innocent person in the world. We all have securities. And, and so when I talk to you and I talk to players and people and, and just whoever, I can tap into that because I understand you because I have some too and I can admit them. So I guess that's where it comes from, I guess.
1: I've heard you say that the best leaders are the ones that lead from the back because they can make sure that no one's falling behind.
3: Yeah, I think it's important. You have different types of leadership where you can just pull people and say, I'm going to carry it on my shoulders. And sometimes they're brash and they're not as humble as, that's okay, everybody has a different style. And they say, hey, if you just fall behind, it's on you. And they put pressure on you to want to keep up with them. And I understand that, I understand that. It's not my demeanor, not my style. I know how to pull, I'm basically a pusher and and I just want to make sure everybody's included. Now I've made many of mistakes like that and where you try to make sure everybody's there and some people are just not ready to be pushed and you end up stalling the group because you're trying to make sure everybody's on the same track. And uh, so sometimes you just have to put that person to the side and keep pushing everybody else. So that's, I guess I'm learning that as well. I guess I'm learning that as well, but I always try to push. Uh, I never try to put myself above. Anyone, you know, I'm the coach. I just want everybody to feel included and everyone to know how much they mean to what we're trying to do and everyone to get the proper credit that they deserve. I think at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, everything that I've tried to ha- be involved in will speak for itself. My wife was the same way when she was uh, a player, and I-, I followed her lead. She never was a uh, high maintenance, or she was always on winning teams, but she, she was never the one that was the most celebrated, but we knew her importance and I liked the way she carried herself and, and I felt like I wanted to carry myself the same way.
1: James, the pandemic's been difficult for a lot of people. We're trapped at home, trapped behind screens and not able to connect with people in the way that we would normally. I wanted to ask you, did this change the way that you interacted with the team and perhaps the way that you put pressure on them?
3: I learned a lot from 2020 during the pandemic you underestimate so we have 2019 this successful season basically for from our standpoint of an organization where one shot away from going to the semifinals. we were picked 10th we ended up finishing fifth and we had some all-star players and and so it was a, a great season the next year the pandemic hits and you underestimate mentally how much it weighs on people they're isolated away from their families they all this stuff is going on and so the mistake i made in 2020 is i approached it like it was 2019 so i I pushed them the same way i pushed them the same way but you have to be mindful we're in this bubble every we're seeing the same people every day for months every day you don't get an off day from seeing these people because you're not staying in the house and so that's tough it wears on you and everybody that you love outside of your teammates you have to talk to on the phone or on facetime or on this they just warn us and so some days we just didn't have it mentally and so i'm focused on winning 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 we have injuries i'm still pushing them the same way like hey we have to push through it we're talking about winning and and we didn't take many breaks as we should have. And I think it was tough on the players because you get to a point where where you lose a game and you feel like you're just not doing like it was so it was like you win a game. It's the top of the world. You lose a game and it's it's just the end of the world. And you don't have any outlet if you lose like you can't go mm-hmm. out to eat with your family. You can't go out. You can't escape it. And I try to approach it differently, even though we were out of the bubble this year but you still want to put that, you want to apply the right amount of pressure, but it's delicate. So it's like, okay, when and where and how and how much. So this is the constant battle that you're fighting as a coach because you care about the players and you care about their well-being, but you also know that they have to be pushed to a certain point to be their better selves. So you're actually trying to balance that all season to go along with the tactical stuff, uh, pick and roll schemes or getting the player to post up more or shoot more threes when they're open or all this stuff or just work on their jump shots. And and so all you're do, dealing with all this stuff. And so that's where we had to get better as a staff. That's where I had to get better as a, as a coach is where's their limits mentally? Physically, you know where it is, but where's their limits mentally? And how do I motivate them to be on the same page Even when it's not their day, and that was the tough part. But we did our best, and that's what we met a lot about as a coaching staff is okay. How do we get them there? Sometimes we did certain things, and we about faced and say, "Hey, that didn't work." And having a and you know having the wherewithal to say, "Okay, this is not working." I know this is what normally I would do in certain situations, and this is my identity. But for the sake of the team. I have to change this. Like this is not working. Work with the last year's team or work with the team the two years before, not with this one. And so you have to be humble enough to say, I'm wrong about this, guys. I'm wrong. We wasted two weeks doing this, but we didn't really waste time. We learned that this wasn't for us. So now when it comes up again, we know that we don't have to go this route. Okay. And so I've always tried to be good about adapting and adjusting and if you go down the street and you see that's not the way, turn turn around, make a U turn, and, and you find the right way.
1: James, I'm curious about your values. I hear you talk a lot about humility and sacrifice, but I'm wondering, are there any other big rocks or values that are core to your philosophy and travel with you no matter where you are in the world?
3: Communication. We talked about accountability, but communication is key in being able to when you have communication and accountability, being able to tell the players exactly what you feel i think that's that's the main thing and them understanding and telling them about the sacrifice and why i've been big on why telling them why and so my my values are understand each player is a human i don't just look at them as a player i try to make sure that i i understand them and that i know them and i want them to know me And to understand that I appreciate everything they're doing for our organization and and they're doing for their teammates. And I always try to make light of that and always try to keep them involved by letting them know that they're appreciated. So I guess that's a big value of mine is just letting the players know that they're appreciated as well.
1: I have another terrific quote from you, James. You say, I've always had to prove my intelligence, always. So how do you do that? You do that through hard work. And they say, okay, he's a hard worker. But the hard work gets your intelligence in the room. So once you work hard, people start to listen to you. My question is, can working harder be coached? Or is it something you have to be born with?
3: It can be coached, but you have to have some of it in you. Maybe you need a coach to bring it out of you. But, and there's some players that don't know how to. But the players that have spent enormous, an enormous amount of time not working hard maybe won't get there. I think it's something that you have in you, that you I don't know if you're born with it, but it comes out at a certain point early in life. And it's just, it's just a part of it. it. has a lot to do with passion. Yeah, it has a lot to do with passion. So if you, if you have a passion for it, you'll work for it because that passion fuels everything.
1: James, it was Dan Hughes who believed in you and was the first person who told you that you were going to be a great coach. In the future, when you start spotting assistant coaches who you think are going to be great coaches. What will be the top things you will be looking for?
3: Uh, I think the main thing will be the work ethic. You find a coach that's going to be too good for things, he's probably not or she's probably not going to be or they are probably not going to be the right person. You, You want a coach to put their hands in the fire and not, look up because they're trying to make sure everybody's watching because the person that's making sure that everybody's watching probably has a limit because as soon as you notice them they'll stop working at the same pace so you want a coach that's gonna just put their head down and and continue working have the reward be one thing is for people to get better and for people to get better around them and not to really get accolades and I and i appreciate coaches like that and we've had some so i'm just going to push them i'm going to push them and put as much pressure on them to be the best coach they can be and i i really appreciate the coaching staff that we have you know we had some coaches that Did some amazing things in this playoffs and the way that they taught our players. And so I was excited and just excited to keep on going forward with them. And I want to start a coaching tree (laughs) as well. So it's probably the biggest thing for me. It's my motivating factor with our first team is always the coaching staff. That's my first team because those are my teammates. I want to see them succeed. So when I start a coaching tree and, and start to make head coaches, I'll be as happy as a kid.
1: I've read where you had 27 first cousins and you were all very competitive. In fact, it was through these competitions where you developed your desire to prove people wrong. If I could take you back now and introduce you to that 12-year-old who was playing ball with his cousins, what would you say to him?
3: You are not alone. You are not alone. You can be special and I'll be the one that believes in you, but you aren't alone. So just understand that. So everything you're feeling is justified
1: you were feeling alone, even with all those first cousins. Not
3: alone in like, I had people around me, but just alone in, I thought I was more than what I, I was given credit to be. And so you feel alone because you're, you're fighting that stigma, being the the little one, or you're fighting that stigma of, of not being as special as you think you are. I was always humble, but I always thought that, I thought I was special. I just always thought I was special. It was like convincing. So it made me angry that nobody thought I was special but me. <laughs> so I was the little mad one because I knew it, and I used to get picked on from my cousins, and they loved me, but they used they made it hard for me. I felt like I was special, and from my aunts and everybody, and it's like, look, man, I'm I'm telling y'all, I'm I'm going to be something, but nobody believed me. So
1: well, you've got the ring to prove it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> James, maybe just one last question if I can because it's getting late and you probably need to top up your tea and get a few more biscuits. And it's a quote. And it's a quote that you gave after you won the championship. And you say, it's not just for my son. It's for every young black kid that comes up behind me that you prejudge because they have their pants down or they have their hat on backwards but never judge a book by its cover. I'm not perfect by no means but I'm always trying to do the right thing and it's nothing to do with my colour. It's a very powerful quote. And so my final question to you would be, what is the legacy that you hope you will leave as a coach?
3: You see all these iconic coaches, and I don't think a lot of them are recognized that that look like me are recognized. We have this reputation of being, you know, very, I guess, emotional and strong, but the intelligence is not something that when you think of these genius coaches, it's not a lot of them that you talk about that look like me. I've prided myself on knowing the game and memorizing the game and studying languages and kind of stepping out the box from what people that look like me step out of. And so I want to be an example for the Black kid that feels different, for the minority kid that feels different, that you know wasn't a high-level athlete that converted just an intelligent guy that knows the game and that can think the game a little bit faster than a normal person. I want that reputation and I want to be great. And I think I can be, and I'm just saying that humbly, but I, I just always felt that I had the potential to be. And I, I want other kids that look like me to have a role model to look for and to, I try to make the right move so I can be a consistent role model, just straightforward. And that's, you know, it's it means a lot. It means a lot. To have someone it means a lot to have someone. I mean, Popovich and Dan Hughes and all these people, and they're great. They're great people, but I can't emulate being Popovich. I can't because I, I, I'm just nothing like him. And I, I don't have the same experiences as he does. People aren't going to see me as that. Uh, so I have to create my own lane where it's somebody who can identify with Popovich, but they can identify with me and say, okay, I, I have a lane. And you can say the same thing when it comes to a Shaquille O'Neal and a Steph Curry. A lot of people don't identify with Shaq that see Steph Curry and that can identify with him. And I, I want to be that avenue for coaches that, that come up behind me, that just to be a model of doesn't have to be ex-athlete, can be great dad and a, and a good coach and can be seen as someone highly intellectual and highly intelligent. And so uh, that, that's what I want
1: to be. Stepping out of the box, humility, I think that's a great place to end. And I'd like to thank you so much for your time tonight, James. It's been wonderful chatting with you, and I wish you all the best for the season ahead.
3: Uh, Thank you. I appreciate it, Paul. Uh, Always
2: good, man. I'm flattered. Hi, everyone. Mike here. You've been listening to the great coach, James Wade. Some of the other key highlights for me were how the great coaches understand and are conscious of feelings of people around them and how they know what to give in return, the importance of looking in the mirror and evaluating your own performance first as a coach after the game before addressing the team, the corrosive effect of team performance on individual interests coming before the team interests, and that there's no single way to motivate people, that you have to be open-minded and conscious of the individuals when you want to engage them. I hope that you enjoyed this as much as we did. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, please let us know. Listener and fellow great coach, Pokey Chapman said, hands down, one of the best podcast interviews we've done. Your prep, presentation, and intentional yet authentic posing of questions. And listener Ellen Worrell, who after listening to our Tamson Greenway episode said, cracking listen, brought back fond memories of Uniball. The interaction with people around the world who listen gives us great energy to bring these great interviews to you. And all the details and how to connect with us and other people who are interested in leadership insights from great coach podcasts are in the show notes.